really cool to have the opportunity to preach because all throughout the week I have to spend time in the word and, and all kinds of commentaries and, and really get this beautiful picture of who God is. And, and the cool thing is I don't have time to do anything else, so I can't worry about something else or focus on something else or even do something stupid because I just don't have time when I have to preach. And so the great thing about preaching is the whole time you just get to spend time focusing on what God has to say through his word. And so it's a fantastic opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, let's pray together and ask him to speak to us. Father, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for sending your son into this world to give his life for us. We thank you for creating us in your image. We thank you even though we mess up that you were there for us. And even though the world is challenging around us, you were there for us. And Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. And so, Father, this morning we ask that you speak to us. Speak through your word. Speak through me. And Father, be with us as we are challenged by what you have to say in Scripture. What you want of our lives. What you want for us and for us to do. And so, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, I'd like to share with you some of what's taking place within the youth ministry. Because I believe that every little ministry within the church has a huge impact on the whole body of Christ. Whether it's a VBS that invites in families to the church because their kid came to VBS all weekend, they got so excited they had to go home and tell their mom about it. And so we begin to see new people for it. Or whether it's a small outing of men or women that have went out to get dinner or lunch together and they strike up a conversation about God and who he is and the people around them begin to notice something different about themselves. And so they begin to think, maybe I should look into that. Maybe I want part of that. There are a lot of amazing ministries that take place at our church. But oftentimes in the midst of what you're doing in your life and the ministry you're focused on, you don't know about them. You don't hear about them, maybe you don't see them, but God is at work in our midst and he's doing amazing things and it can be a huge encouragement to each of us if we get to hear about those things. It can be such a huge blessing to hear about how many kids heard the gospel of VBS or how many people the Evangelism Explosion was able to go out and talk to. God is at work within our church and there's something awesome about hearing about it. See, Paul loved to hear about the church, from the churches that he had went to minister to. He loved to write letters to them and, and say, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, I want to know what's going on, because he was concerned, but he got a rise out of it. He got some encouragement in what he was doing in the midst of his own life. And so this morning, I want to share a little about the youth and what we're doing and how it can be an encouragement to you. See, over the last school year, we've had a lot of cool things happen in the youth group. We've had retreats, we've had fun activities. You know, we do all kinds of crazy things. But what's cool is new kids are showing up and old kids are growing in their faith, and I get to be part of that. And it's amazing to sit back and watch a, a student take control of their faith and say, I want to follow God and I'm going to do all of these things. And so they invite their friends to church. And we get to see them come to youth group, and I get to meet new kids, and we get to see their faiths mature. And it's a really challenging phase of life for them. And it's an opportunity to step into the midst of that and be able to share with them what I've learned from God and what our leaders have learned from God and how we've grown. 
It's not just about engaging our youth here and now, though. I want to share a little statistic with you. 80% of all youth kids leave the church when they leave their parents' home. If that was my youth group, I would have like 10 kids in the church in 10 years. That's scary. That's terrifying to me. To think that God has called me here to, to put him in their lives, that they would, as they grow older, they would leave. The reality is that it's not about just getting engaged now. It's about allowing them to build a firm foundation in Christ and building their life off of that. This time is crucial that with they get engaged in the body of Christ, allowing them to walk beside us as we minister, allowing them to minister as we walk beside them. They're just as big a part of the church as we are, just as our children are. And everyone has a place within the church that God wants them to minister. This is a crucial time. It starts with Christ and it, the church plays a huge role in the lives of the family, and it goes home as well. The parents have the role of showing that church matters to their kids. That week in and week out, they're here. That they give their time, their money, their energy to say that church is important. And I know it's challenging, and I know it's hard, but there may be a time where you have to say, hey, we can't do that, or you can't be involved in that because you're going to miss too much church. Because the reality is we're in a world that desires something different than God does. And if we teach our kids that they should desire those things as well, then they're going to move away from God as they move along. And so we want to engage them here and now. And that's a hard thing to do. I think about as Josiah grows up, I want him to play football and baseball and do all the things that I was able to enjoy when I was younger. But at the same time, I realized where I was without God, and I want him to have God so much more than all of those things. And it's hard sometimes to say, your friends are all doing that, and all of your classmates are doing that, but I don't think that's best for your life. And so we, as parents, as part of the church, have to step in and say, we're going to show you something different than the world has. Something better. And I know that at times, that's going to be a challenge we have the opportunity, a chance to show our youth that it's not about growing up, getting a job, paying the bills. It's about living in the presence of an amazing God. It's not just about Sundays, though. It's about when we're on vacation or in the classroom or in the work site. It's about our everyday life engaged in His presence. So then, how do we do that? What do we do? And that's where my summer teaching for the youth began as I prayed and as I talked with the other youth leaders, and we really said, what should we teach throughout the summer? What should we tell our kids? Because this is a time where they're in and out, and they're going on vacations, and those are all great things, but we want to make sure that we give them the opportunity to really see God in their lives. And so I had them fill out a survey, and this survey was, had various questions asking about their daily week, or their daily walk with God, and what a week looked like, what they dealt with at school and at home and within their families and all of these things. And it was just different questions saying, okay, what's life look like for you? And as I went through the surveys, it hurt me. Like I saw what our kids were struggling with and what they had to deal with. I have a lot of youth that do not attend our church or church at all. And so I got to see what they were struggling with and how they didn't understand 
why or this would happen or that would happen. And I got a chance to really see into their lives. Their life is hard, and they couldn't figure out, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And so I decided to tailor all of our lessons about relationships and how do we handle from a biblical perspective all of the relationships we go through with their parents, with their siblings, with their classmates, with their friends. I wanted to address each of their struggles they had in life, realizing that the foundation is what matters. See, all of these things can be just done. You can go out and make friends and work and go to school, and they can do all of those things, but there has to be a foundation. Were they building it on their own desires? I want to go do this. Or are they building it on what Christ wants, what he desires for their life? Just as I've started to explore the basis for all relationships with youth, today I wanted to share with you more about what making Christ the center of our relationships and our life looks like. Turn with me to John chapter 15. And we're going to take a look this morning at what it looks like to be in the very presence of God. Now this is a passage of scripture that really truly invites us to say, this is what life looks like if you're going to live with God. We don't need a tabernacle. There's no more holy of holies. There's no temple. We have the opportunity on our daily basis to live in the very presence of God, to experience Him firsthand. And so this passage really shows us what that looks like. Uh, read with me. I'm going to read here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now here we see the last, here in this statement, we see the last of Jesus' I am statements. And all throughout the book of John, Jesus has seven statements that say, I am. I am. And the cool thing about this is that Jesus was talking to the Jews, and there was only one person that should ever say I am to them, and that was Jehovah. That was God, and Jesus was coming to them and declaring, I am God, and this is what I have to say about what I'm going to do here and now. And so he often followed with a very clear statement to help them understand who he was and what he was doing in their midst. He allowed the Jews to understand, hey, this is the Messiah, the person we've been waiting for. Now, a lot of them missed out on that. But he made it very clear to them that he is the I am. So Christ draws this beautiful picture of what a relationship will look like. 
He used an illustration that is often used within the Old Testament that is very familiar to the Israelites. The picture of a vine. Because Israel often in Isaiah was referred to as a vine. Branching out, declaring God. Now Christ declares himself to be the vine of the plant, the trunk. The source of all the nutrients. He's planted in the ground, drawing in everything to feed us. We are the branches, the part of the plant that should produce fruit. And God is the gardener, the one who tends and cares for the plant. Verse 2 begins to show us a picture of what life looks like if we have a relationship with Christ. Our job is the vines are produce fruit. That's part of being with Christ. He provides us with all the things that we're going to need to get through life so that we can do well. We're supposed to draw in life from Christ and begin to put that out in the terms of fruit. There must be fruit growing out of us. So what is fruit? What's it look like? What's it supposed to be? If I were to ask you what a good Christian producing fruit looks like, what would you say? Would you say it's someone out sharing the gospel and teaching a Sunday school class and giving to charities, maybe even making cookies and taking it to the elderly? They could do all kinds of things. Would you say that's a good Christian that's producing fruit? From the outside, it would seem that that's what we should be doing. But it isn't just about our actions. Those are great things. It's about the interchange that Christ provides for us. It's an interchange. An interchange that's a radical transformation from being a sinner to being joined with the Son. We were once so engrossed with sin that nothing grew in our life. There was only pain and sorrow and hurt and sadness and sin. And a relationship with Christ changes who we are. And we change from the inside. We were dead and now something sprouts from our life. So we begin to see fruit from us. As we're connected with Christ, we begin to see interchange. And it should be slowly come out. And people around us should begin to see it. The fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians is this very fruit. The fruit that the Holy Spirit, as He indwells in our lives, begins to pour out of us. We should see a product of who Christ is in our life. We should see patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. Those things should begin to appear in our lives when we're connected with Christ. A great opportunity to know if you're following Him. So how does the vine get to the point of producing amazing fruit? It just simply must be cared for. See, a wild vine, a flower, can just grow anywhere. But in, typically in the midst, it has weeds around it, and it's random. But with great care, a gardener can truly take care of his plants. Something better can grow than just on its own. And this is where God gets involved. Christ is changing us internally, filling us with his spirit, and while we are nourished through Christ, God begins to clean up around us, to prune us, to allow us to be shaped. God warns, or God says that he is taking away branches that are around us. So we're in the midst of this garden as God is cleaning away all these things around us. And Christ warns us about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says that there are going to be people that know me and claim to know me. And they're going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. And how do you recognize whether or not they're following me? By their fruit. 
And so God is going to remove those people. He's going to take people away from us so that we can be focused on Christ and what he has to offer for us. He must prune away things in our lives. I think this is a really scary part of having a relationship with God. You're going in knowing that God has to change who you are because what you were wasn't good enough to be in his presence. And so Christ made the sacrifice And then God gets at work once we're in our relationship with Christ. In order for a plant to produce the best it has to offer, it must be pruned. God must take away things that hinder us. And sometimes God even takes away things that are good, that we're too focused on so that we can produce fruit He wants, that He would like to have in our life. See, when the gardener prunes vines, He does various things to these. And so you have to picture grape vines here. Uh, they pinch the ends of them so they don't grow too fast. When they grow, start to grow big, they cut them down or they top them so the nutrients don't get too far spread and kill the whole plant. They cut off grape clusters so that more or better grapes can begin to grow. They cut away dead and dying branches that are stealing nutrients from the rest. See, the plants are also pruned in the fall and the winter. All of this stuff must take place for this plant to produce the best it possibly can. God's pruning process can be harsh. It can be hard. It can be something we don't desire or want. There can be times in our life where we desire something and God needs to remove it so that we can have a different life, a better life. And I know that it can be hard to cut things out. And it can be challenging, but the end results are amazing. In college, uh, I loved playing video games, like, a lot. Like, I should have been paid for because I'd have have been wealthy. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with playing video games, but I was so engaged in playing video games. And there was this one video game in particular that I I played all of the time. Um, I remember Jenny and I had been married. It was in our first year of marriage, and so playing a lot of video games at that point in your life is not a good idea. Uh, But it it got so bad. Like, I, I didn't realize how much I was engaged in something. And like I said, playing a video game can be a good thing. Playing a board game, reading a book, watching a movie, those are all okay things. But it's what we decide to do with them that begins to make them a problem. See, I would go to school during the day, and then I would go to work, and I worked 40 hours a week, and I would play this video game, and I'd roughly estimate, I would guess at least 30 hours a week. Like, it was crazy. And I was married, and, and that was not good for our marriage. Like, we, we definitely had problems in those first few months of marriage because of the, a choice I was making. It was something that I knew that God needed to remove from my life, but I wasn't willing to hand it over. Like, I was like, I love this video game. It's really fun. My friends play it. Uh, and what I realized that when I finally handed it over to God, something greater came from it. Could I go back and play that video game today? Probably but I would never play like I used to because I realized that when God takes something out of our life, there's a good reason he does it. There's a reason that he begins to prune and trim us and shape us and take away even the good fruit because he has something better waiting for us. There are often times when we think, I'm going to deal with my own issue. I'm going to take care of it. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow or maybe in a few years when I'm a little more mature Christian, I can handle that. 
And so we often delay it and don't allow God to shape us. And the reality is that Christ makes it very clear. We are the branches, and the branches can't trim themselves. Someone has to care for us. We need to allow God to address the issues in our own life and handle it rather than taking it on ourselves. James says it best. When we face trials, we should find joy. When life is tough and hard and God is at work in our midst, we should find joy in the midst of that. In the same way, the gardener pruned the plants when in the fall of winter. And this is a really cool thought. And I want you to think about this. Because in the, in the fall and the winter, the plants begin to die. And they're struggling, that, that branch is struggling to survive into the next season. And that's when God steps in and he begins to prune us. So oftentimes something is struggling in life, or maybe we're in a situation as the whole church, and there's chaos just all around us, and we're like, we have no idea what we're doing. And I promise you this, that God is in our midst, and he is pruning us for something so much greater than what we have here and now. And what we don't realize is that it hurts, and it's hard, and we're like, God, I'm barely surviving here. Why is this happening now? And God is at work. He will never hurt us in the midst of his pruning. Yes, it will be tough, and it will be challenging, but he has something in life that we're going to miss out on if we have stuff in the way. And so... God must address the sin. He strips us of our comfortable sin so we can survive the harshest of seasons and have the strength to bloom once it warms. Are you scared of pruning yet? Think of it this way. The gardener sets up his garden. He plants all of his plants. Maybe he throws some fertilizer down to help them grow or kill bugs. But he never really attends to each individual plant necessarily. But when God prunes us, he gets right up into our face. And we get the opportunity to see the presence of God so close to us that we realize he is at work and doing things that maybe we don't understand or know, but he is there taking care of our growth and well-being. God cares about us. He loves us. He sent his son into the world to die for us, and he expects that with a life for him, he's going to prune and care for us. The more of us that is gone, the more of Christ we will begin to show. In verse 3, Christ declares to his disciples, to the people listening to him, that they've already been made clean by his word. You know, he'd already shared the good news with them, that he was coming into this world because they sinned, and they've broken a relationship with God, and God desires that relationship to be fixed. And they know this, so they've been made clean, and they need to realize that God is at work, but it doesn't matter because they already have the best thing ever. They have a life with Christ. They're a new creation connected back with God like it was originally intended to be. In the midst of trials, Christ lays out some amazing thoughts in verse 4, 5, and 6. If we abide in Him or remain in Him, He will be with us. Whatever's going on in life, whatever struggles we're having to deal with, whatever joy we're having, Christ is there. When life sucks or we're hurt or we messed up or we have no idea what to do, Christ is there. See, we can do a lot of things on our own accord. We can go out, make money, pay the bills, and just lead life. But in the end, where are we? 
We're on our own. And there's nothing in the end. You know, I remember when I was saved. Like, I can clearly remember the point where I realized who God was and what he's done for me. And my life changed. Like, I talk differently. I act differently. There was just something about what God had done in my life. It was just, it was exciting. There was some change within me, and I still can't fully understand it. And I read scripture, and I try to be with God on a very, very regular basis. But the reality is, I often don't understand what God is doing in my life. But in the midst of that relationship with Christ, I've lost friends. I've stepped away from things that I used to find fun. But as change took place, here's the cool thing. Christ began to fill those gaps. Like there were these things that I desired in life and that I wanted to do, and God cut them out and pruned them and shaped them, and my relationship with Jesus changed them. And the reality is that Christ filled all of those needs for me. All those things that I thought I needed or desired, Christ took the place of them. Now let me, let me sh- tell it to you in a way that maybe is a little more understanding to you. If you drink coffee or soda, if you're one of those people that needs a pick-me-up in the morning or at 3 o'clock, you're like, I'm just not going to make it to the end of the day, so I better go hunt down some coffee. Maybe you're one of those people. You need that sudden burst of energy in your life, and you're like, ooh, I can go now. I can do it now. The reality is that Christ gives that to us all the time. It's not about just giving us this short burst of energy When we start to hit a point where life gets tough or challenging, what do we seek out? What do we turn to? Where do we go? If we're turning to Christ, we have the ability to handle whatever life offers us. We have the ability to make the right choices, to choose to do the right thing. Christ desires to be a full part of our life all the time, not when it's comfortable for us. It's a change to everything we are We are consumed by the love of Christ rather than the death of sin. It's an all-consuming, life-giving love, and Christ wants us to dwell in that all the time. Christ gave it all so that we could have it all. Not the things that we always desired or thought we wanted, but the things that God desires for us. A life filled with joy in a sinful world as we wait eternity with Him. Now verse 6 explains why we need a relationship with Him. Now, I, I, I kind of like this here because Christ does, kind of gives a little compliment sandwich here. He tells you something really good, and then he goes to something bad, and then he's back to something good. And here's, here's our bad part. Here's a warning to those around him. He wants you to be aware of what a life without him looks like. If anyone does not abide in him, he will be thrown away like a branch that withers, a branch that has no life. He explains it very clearly to them that a life without Christ is complete separation from the Father. There is no life there. Christ desires us to have a relationship with God. That's why we were created, to be in relationship with God and to bring Him glory. And Christ offers us a chance at that. And He says only through Him can you get that. And He warns us that without Him, we will be picked up and thrown in the fire. A scary thought. But then he goes on to much more pleasant things. Verse 7 through 11 begin to wrap up Jesus' teaching about how to stay connected in his presence. He shares with us what it should look like in our own life. 
and gives us practical application on how to live it out. When we are with Christ, he gives us opportunity to ask for whatever we want. He calls us to a life of prayer and to study of him. He wants us to continually take on his nature, to hit our knees, and to allow him to work in our lives. He says, whatever we ask will be given to us. Now, God is not a genie in the lamp. I think often people sometimes approach God like that. They're like, they just rub their Bible a little bit, that God will come down and be like, hey, oh, you wanted that? Okay, here you go. That's not what it's about. That's not what Christ's saying. What he is saying is when you have a relationship with me and you're allowing God to prune away your life, what you will see is you will begin to see these changes. And one of the changes that you'll see is the desires of your own heart. You'll begin to see the desires to do what Christ would want you to do, to really see true need within your own life. Maybe as a kid you grew up thinking you wanted to do this or that or the other. You know, when I was growing up, I always wanted to play f- football professionally. That's what I wanted to do, and I knew that that is not what God wanted in my life as I hit high school. I knew that God was asking of something else, and my desires began to change. The way I prayed or the way I began to ask God for things began to change. I no longer wanted what I wanted, but I w- often sought after what Christ wanted for my own life. When we're in a relationship with him, following him, praying, studying his word, and obeying his commands, we truly begin to see what Christ promises through that relationship and those things we will receive. Being in a relationship with Christ produces fruit. Growing fruit shows several things. It shows that we are a disciple of him, that we are connected with his teaching, that we are spending time with him, that we are abiding or remaining within him. It also brings glory to God. Our whole reason for existence. God created us for that very reason. And when we were connected with Christ, our lives were able to do that. Being connected with Christ, we begin to desire pruning. Now that's a challenging thought and something that I really, really want you to think about. As we grow closer to Christ, we desire God to come in and make changes in our life. We, our changes desire that we follow Christ and the commands of God. See, we live in a world full of sin. And sometimes we just have no answers. And we live in a world where what we read in Scripture tends to disagree with the majority of people. What you're going to find within this book and the teachings of Christ and when you're growing in Christ is often different what the world has to say. I think the majority of us could agree that today is definitely one of those days. That with what we feel Scripture clearly says is not what the world agrees with. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to be challenging, but I promise you this, because Christ clearly says it here, that in the midst of all that, that God is at work in our own lives, and He is pruning us so that when we go out into the world, we can handle anything the world has to offer. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the suffering and pain that we might have to go through, Christ says, you will find joy. Now, I want you to think about that because God says, hey, there's going to be hardships that are going to come and people are going to disagree with what you have to say. If you're following me, you're going to be different than everything else out there. And we're going to have to handle that. And he doesn't say that we go out there and we handle it ourselves. 
He doesn't say that we deal with it ourselves. And I want you to think about this because in our current situation, there's often a desire or neediness to say something. Like I need to tell somebody how I feel or what I'm thinking or what the Bible says. And Christ clearly says here that we should turn to him first and say, okay, God, what am I supposed to do here? Because he shows us love and that love should be reciprocated through our fruit and we're able to then show love to others. Jesus is not concerned with us winning an argument. He's not wanting us to do something we don't want to do. Jesus wants us to know that a relationship with him is better than anything else this world has to offer. See, we're going to go through a lot of hard times. But here's what Jesus promises, that our connection with him through the gardener, we will be loved and taken care of, and we will have an eternity to spend with God. But here and now on this earth, while we're going through life, we can find joy in the midst of all of it through Christ. So as we look at the world, as we think about how to handle life or what to do, I know it's a really silly saying and I don't like it, but honestly, what would Jesus do is the right answer. I'm going to go do X, Y, Z. Okay, God, what should I be doing here? You know, all, I see all these things on Facebook about all of these friends and family. How do I share the gospel with them? Not how do, what do I say, but how do I teach them about your love? You take care of what's going on in their life, and let me just tell them about you. And we can only do that if we're connected with Christ. So what does your life look like? Is it a life rooted in Scripture, prayer, and allowing Christ to feed you? Or is it disconnected, growing weeds, and desiring none of God's change? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together, to hear your word. We thank you that you would willingly send your Son into this world, that he would give up his life, that he would suffer and go through pain so that everyone, everyone that believes in him, everyone that has a relationship with him, everyone that believes that he died on the cross can have life and that we can have a relationship with you. And so, Father, in the midst of life and whatever the world is throwing at us or asking of us, Father, we want to be in a relationship with you. Show us who you are through that. Speak to us as an individual, as a family, as a church. Father, we want to be with you. And so we thank you for allowing that to happen through Christ. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. And I just want to add Isaiah uh, 40, uh, verse uh, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run, but not grow weary. Thank <laughs> you.